This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the GOP is positively giddy over reports that Jacksonville will host the Republican National Convention in August. The state health department says there have now been 67,391 confirmed cases of coronavirus in Florida, an increase of almost 1,400 in one day. This is the eighth day in a row where the number has been more than 1,000. COVID-19 has now killed at least 2,889 people in the Sunshine State. Next week's meeting of the state clemency board has been canceled, and Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Fried is calling out the governor, saying this is just one more way the state suppresses the vote by refusing to restore the rights of people who've done their time. Tallahassee attorney Ben Crump is back on the national stage now that he's serving as a lawyer for the family of George Floyd. Crump was one of the witnesses at a congressional hearing on police practices and law enforcement accountability. Florida's broken unemployment system is getting attention in Washington. We're being held up as an example of how not to do it. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with a couple of Florida men, including a deputy suspended for inviting violent cops to work in Florida and a guy who brought a rifle to a march for peace. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, June 11th. The Florida GOP is celebrating a report in the Washington Post that says Jacksonville is the frontrunner in the race to see which city will host the Republican National Convention in August. Donald Trump decided to bail on Charlotte because they would not guarantee a convention without masks and social distancing. So the marquee events, like his acceptance speech, are being moved to a city that has agreed to unrestricted crowds. The Post says the convention's routine meetings will still take place in Charlotte. That way they can honor their contract with North Carolina and shield the party from any lawsuits for moving elsewhere. Details are still being worked out. One of the biggest concerns about Jacksonville now is whether there are enough hotel rooms in Duval County to handle the crowds. Meanwhile, Republican Party of Florida Chairman Joe Gruters has tweeted out that Florida is open for business and ready to roll out the red carpet. If you're convicted of a felony in Florida, you lose your civil rights, and those rights are not restored once you've done your time. You have to file an appeal with the State Board of Executive Clemency, which includes the governor and all three independently elected members of the state cabinet. State Representative Tracy Davis of Jacksonville says the system was designed to keep people from voting, especially people of color. The process is entirely arbitrary. Your request can be denied without explanation. There is a huge backlog of unheard cases, and applicants have to wait years to get a hearing. The current clemency rules are arbitrary and discriminatory, and these rules must change. It's past time to change the rules to allow automatic restoration of civil rights and voting rights. No civil rights of Floridians should be based on arbitrary and discriminatory practices. Given the historic protests across the nation concerning civil rights of Black people, Governor DeSantis and the Clemency Board must fix this shattered system that unfairly punishes Black Floridians and denies them their constitutional rights. It's past time that our government shows us that Black lives really matter and do that by including them in the democratic process without disproportionate discrimination. Bottom line, Florida's current system is one of the most erroneous in the nation. It represents a significant step backwards for civil rights in Florida. State Representative Fentries Driscoll of Tampa says, you probably shouldn't even call it clemency because technically that means mercy and you won't find much of that at the state capitol. Florida's clemency system is nowhere near illustrative of how clemency should be demonstrated. The word clemency actually derives from the Latin word clementia, which comes from the Latin clemens, meaning gentle or merciful. So hence the definition of clemency and the epitome of a clemency system should be 
mercifulness. The efforts of this state, in fact, show that at large, there's an anti-clemency and therefore an anti-mercifulness campaign being run against 1.7 million returning citizens and the 64% of 64% of voters who in 2018 voted in favor of Amendment 4. So here we are now in 2020 witnessing consistent attempts to carry out and maintain a system of oppression that is supposed to be the bedrock of restoring civil and voting rights to returning citizens. This same system tries to silence voices of individuals who have paid their debt to society. Florida's clemency system parallels with the current times and is an imprint of social issues that have triggered people and governments worldwide to take action and push for social justice and push for positive reforms. The governor in many different, and let's be very clear, calculated ways has delayed providing resolution of issues found in Florida clemency system. It does it, he has not allowed the clemency system to work how it is supposed to, including clearing up the backlog of clemency applicants for returning citizens who've already been deemed eligible for clemency. We have watched the governor announce this plan also to fight an appeal and to appeal the recent decision by Judge Hinkle that would allow returning citizens to vote without having to pay those fines and fees. Both he and Ashley Moody are on the wrong side of history with respect to that lawsuit. But we do have the opportunity to change course right now and get these clemency hearings back on track so that Florida can once again be the state that stands for its people. State Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed is the only Democrat on the clemency board, and she's been trying to convince her Republican colleagues they need to make a change. It is unconscionable that in 2020, Black Americans' rights are still being abused. Their voices are ignored, even when they are coming together to speak in unison. I have called since taking office for an overhaul of the clemency rules, designed to be crushingly restrictive, designed to be voter suppression, designed to disenfranchise those who have paid their debt to society. Disproportionately affecting Black people, restoration of rights for Black Floridians are the lowest in half a century. The governor can change these rules, do the right thing, and it won't, e- it won't even entertain the conversation. We have been asking for this since day one of the administration. Now we have canceled next week's cabinet and clemency meetings. The first clemency meeting since last year and thousands were waiting for rights to be restored. So in 2020, we have not had a single clemency meeting. This is all while actively appealing the amendment four in the federal court, using taxpayer dollars to once again, silence the voices of our Floridians. As a former public defender, I have seen the injustice of the criminal justice system up close and personal. And at a time when we need to show empathy, Understanding with Black Floridians, standing and understanding with Black Floridians, Governor instead fights to block civil rights and send in the National Guard. The Clemency Board is supposed to hold four meetings per year. The first two were canceled and they're not scheduled to meet until September. Florida's fractured unemployment system is getting attention from lawmakers in Washington who are wondering why the Sunshine State has had so many problems getting federal benefits to jobless workers. State Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez told members of the Senate Finance Committee that Florida's unemployment comp system suffered from willful neglect for a long time. He also told them the additional jobless benefits that run out at the end of July should be extended until the end of the year. With the CARES Act, you have done a great deal of good. And for that, I thank you on behalf of the constituents I serve back home. Florida entered this crisis with one of, if not the least prepared, unemployment systems. No state provides a fewer number of weeks 
We're near the bottom in weekly benefits capped at 275 and have major gaps in eligibility. Add to that an application and payment system infamous for its failures and how persistent those failures are, having endured unchanged through several gubernatorial terms, successive audits, and prior federal intervention. The CARES Act lifted my constituents when Florida's system alone would not have. The PUC program adds 600 a week through July. By design, it goes right to out-of-work Americans who spend it in their communities on necessities. It is easy to administer, and that's a significant benefit in states like Florida with so many problems getting benefits paid. Ricardo, 56, a hotel bellman for eight and a half years before his layoff and a diabetic who loses health insurance this month. He wants to get back to work in an industry that has not returned and wanted me to tell you, quote, the 600 is necessary for me to survive, including to pay for medications. I have, been, I have paid my taxes since I was 14, been working for decades, and never collected unemployment. This is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Karen, 30, worked in marketing at a casino for nine years and hopes to return but looks for work in the meantime. She wanted me to tell you, quote, my fear is that me and my nine-year-old daughter will end up homeless without this, I waited for over a month to receive Florida's unemployment, and honestly, 275 a week is just not enough. The federal aid is to help us for all we do as taxpayers. Randy, 47, the mother of an eight-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl, a recruiter who owned her own business and needs the economy to recover for work, was able to file in late March, but only just received her first payment last week. She wanted me to tell you, quote, the 600 has become vital to my family for basic needs like food and utilities, and finally being able to buy my daughter a toy. Seems simple, but we've been in quarantine since March, and I haven't been able to buy my children anything. With the CARES Act, you also shored up a highly successful layoff aversion program. Businesses want to do the right thing and often need help, like Bernie, a small business owner that we assisted. He employed 17 people before the crisis and should avoid layoffs under that program. On top of design flaws coming into the crisis, Florida's system continues to be slow, unreliable, and inept in general, and in its deployment of the CARES Act in particular. The Department of Economic Opportunity administers unemployment. For hundreds of thousands of Floridians, DEO's system was inaccessible for at least the first half of the crisis, punctuated by unmet, ever-changing goals and seemingly never-ending mishaps. So bad that Florida was the only state paying out less than it received during this period. Leah, 63, worked part-time for an airline, a recent survivor of lung cancer who could not perform her job remotely. She could not apply because the system crashed daily for weeks. Were it not for assistance from our office to adjust the date of her claim, she would have lost over a month of benefits. The ordeal is like the ancient military punishment of running the gauntlet. Many, many thousands still have not made it through. No response, no reasons, no assistance from DEO. Florida's failures work a special hardship on people, adding needless anxiety to economic pain. Florida remains an outlier in deploying the CARES Act. Of those deemed ineligible for traditional unemployment, only about one-fourth end up qualifying for the catch-all PUA program, a rate far below other states. It also appears the state of Florida has only paid out about half of the 600 weekly benefit available to Floridians. This experience should serve as a lesson to other states. States that shrink, starve, and ignore their unemployment systems one day may have their state legislators delivering such remarks. Federal oversight is needed over states' unemployment systems, along with resources to modernize their infrastructure. 
CARES Act programs ought to remain in place until recovery has reached all sectors. Otherwise, communities like mine, I fear it will set us back uh, in our path to recovery. Two leading Democrats in the U.S. Senate have already written to the Inspector General at the Department of Labor asking for an investigation of Florida's system. Congresswoman Debbie McCarcel-Powell says it's about time. You know, from the very beginning, we've been asking, I have been asking the governor to provide answers to the broken unemployment system that we have in the state. Uh, I know that the Florida delegation has asked the for an investigation on the broken system. I have actually asked also for the inspector general to investigate what is what the what are the issues surrounding the DEO and why the unemployment applications have not been processed. We have over um, two million Floridians that have lost their jobs that have been many of them, I think almost half of them are still waiting for some sort of relief. We passed uh, under the CARES Act, the $600 in unemployment benefit for people that, are, that have lost their jobs due to COVID, which would be uh, an added amount weekly to those people that are seeking unemployment. And I know, because I get these calls every single day, they're the, the majority of the calls that we're getting is that they have not seen that federal relief uh, coming through the state. And we have also passed significant funding for the states to fix the system. And, and Florida remains one of the worst states in the country right now to process these applications. So I'm in full support of Senator Schumer's request for the inspector general to investigate. Um, the question should be why are Senator Rick Scott and Senator Marco Rubio not saying a word about their constituents who are in desperate need for relief. I have seen the lines uh, when we've gone to food distribution sites. The, the, the lines last for two hours. The food runs out before the people can actually access uh, those, those food distribution, those food boxes that we're providing to families that need it. And thank God that we were able to pass significant funding to the USDA to actually provide uh, that food for people that need it. But people can't pay their rent. They're scared that they're going to be evicted. I get those calls also. We have we have already passed billions and billions of dollars. Much of it has, has already reached the state and the governor is not acting. So um, I, I, am, I hope that the inspector general actually conducts the investigation. And I also would call for Senator Rubio and Senator Scott to support that investigation because they represent all Floridians, not the, not just those that have not lost their jobs. I mean, we have over 2 million Floridians still waiting for benefits. The latest information from the State Unemployment Office is that 2.2 million individual claims have been filed. 1.3 million have received payments. Next up on Sunrise, you'll hear from the Tallahassee attorney who represents the family of George Floyd. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast, and we are much obliged. The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P, prevent transmission. E, establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures. And N, network with all healthcare providers. You can read the OPEN plan today at fha.org. You may not be acquainted with Tallahassee attorney Ben Crump, but you've probably heard about his legal work. He rose to prominence after suing the state over the death of 14-year-old Martin Lee Anderson in one of its boot camps for troubled teens. He won $10 million, and Florida shut down all of its teen boot camps after that suit. 
Crump went on to represent the family of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin, who was killed by George Zimmerman. He represented the family of 18-year-old Michael Brown, who was shot and killed by police in Ferguson, Missouri. And now he's the lead attorney for the family in the murder of George Floyd. Crump was one of the witnesses at the House Judiciary Committee as they conducted a hearing on policing policies in America. The death of George Floyd has galvanized the world and mobilized Americans to demand a more just system of policing because it's become painfully obvious that what we have right now are two systems of justice, one for white Americans and another for black Americans. George is one in a long line of black Americans who unjustly are killed at the hands of police or, in George's case, at the knee of the police. It's way past time that we revised the role of police to become peacekeepers and community partners. Of course, they must be prepared to protect themselves and the public in direct life-threatening situations. But these should be the exception and not the rule. What we are witnessing throughout our country is not that. Americans are being tear gassed in the streets, hit with rubber bullets, shoved violently to the ground cracking their skulls against the pavement, being bloodied with batons, and for what? For demanding justice for black Americans. Our constitutional rights are under attack, and not in the shadows, but in the broad daylight. Changing the behavior of police and their relationships with people of color starts at the top. We need a national standard for policing behavior built on transparency and accountability. The only reason we know what happened to George Floyd is because it was captured on video. The advent of video evidence is bringing into the light what long was hidden. It's revealing what black Americans have known for a long, long time, that it is dangerous for a black person to have an encounter with a police officer. Given the incidents that have led to this moment in time, it should be mandatory for police officers to wear body cams and should be considered obstruction of justice to turn them off. Like a black box data recorder in an airplane, body cams replace competing narratives with a single narrative, the truth with what we see with our own eyes. Second, insist that police officers only use the level of force needed based on the level of threat actually posed by the circumstances. We've seen way too many black people shot in the back or unarmed black people shot and killed or a handcuffed black man face down on the pavement asphyxiated by a knee on his neck 
for eight minutes and 46 seconds, though he posed no threat at all. Finally, reform how qualified immunity applies to police officers. If officers know they have immunity, they act with impunity. If officers know they can unjustly take the life of a black person with no accountability, they will continue to do so. That's what you saw in the eyes of Derek Chauvin when, with his hand casually tucked in his pocket as he extinguished the life of George Floyd. Accountability requires that officers face public consequences for unjustly taking a life or brutalizing a fellow American that they are sworn to protect and serve. Too often, many officers are silent in the face of evil because of the blue shield. The Brotherhood of Police Officers, which fosters systematic racism and abuse. But there's a higher brotherhood that God calls us to honor. The brotherhood of mankind, black and white. That's what we're witnessing in the diversity of the protesters filling our streets even today. And that's the brotherhood our police officers must honor above all. We have to do better and we must strive to live up to those American ideals. We are better than this. Attorney Crump had just five minutes to make his case to members of the House Judiciary Committee. He told them he wished it had been eight minutes and 46 seconds, so they would know exactly how long it took to murder George Floyd. Your calendar of events starts at 8 in the morning with a conference call meeting by the Board of Clinical Social Work, Marriage and Family Therapy, and Mental Health Counseling. At 8.30, Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed holds a press conference to announce the reopening of the Tallahassee Regional Licensing Office for concealed carry permits. It was shut down because of the pandemic, but will be back in business Monday morning. The Board of Directors of Enterprise Florida holds a conference call at 9 to talk about their next budget. The South Florida Water Management District Governing Board meets at 9. The Department of Transportation holds a webinar at 9.30 about building a toll road from Collier County to Polk County. The Florida Supreme Court releases its weekly opinions at 11. The USDA is scheduled to release an updated forecast for the citrus growing season at noon. And the Florida Department of Agriculture Hemp Advisory Committee meets by conference call at 4. Finally today, it's time for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, who hasn't figured out the best way to deal with all these protests. A Florida man who serves as president of the Fraternal Order of Police chapter in Brevard County has been suspended from his position at the sheriff's office after he sent a Facebook post encouraging cops accused of misconduct elsewhere to apply for jobs in Florida. Brevard County Sheriff Wayne Ivey says Lieutenant Burt Gaiman was suspended with pay while an internal investigation is being conducted. The sheriff called those posts disgusting and distanced his department from the Fraternal Order of Police. And finally, a Florida man is arrested after showing up at a March for Peace armed with an 8-inch knife, a semi-automatic rifle, and several loaded magazines. Police say 29-year-old Joseph Carfora of Cape Canaveral was also wearing a steel-plated vest. He thought it was perfectly legal to carry that rifle because the dude has a permit to carry concealed weapons, but open carry is not legal in Florida. It's a second-degree misdemeanor that could mean a $500 fine or 60 days in the county jail. That's it for Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.